Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to episode 91 of Habs Unfiltered. This week we are joined by Yoki Nevalainen, head of European scouting at Dauber Prospects and co-host of Dauber Draftcast. Uh, this week I'd like to dedicate the show to a former uh, mentor and friend uh, who passed away on the weekend, uh, Ivo Gaday, um, retired warrant officer. Uh, he was instrumental in teaching me about leadership and about being a good person. Uh, he passed away on over the weekend, and my heart goes out to his wife, Susan, and his entire family. Um, so stick around. After the commercial break, we will be joined by Yoki Nevalainen, and we will cover all kinds of topics especially the ones that Yvonne would have liked to have heard about uh, as he was an avid listener and huge Habs fan. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This week we are joined by Yoki Nevalainen, the head of European Scouting at Dauber Prospects and co-host of the podcast Dauber Draftcast. Uh, which can be found on Spotify. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Yoki. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to be here. Well, you're the first person to actually say that, so we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Treg, we may as well just kick this can off. You uh, you get it started. You you did all the legwork to get this, uh, this okay. great guest, so. All right, Yoki, I just want to say thanks for being here. And I guess my big question, because... He's the one that a lot of the Habs people are talking about on Twitter. Uh, Mattias Norlander. Uh, he had a hell of a preseason for, uh, remind me of the team again. Um, Ferlunda. Ferlunda. And 
people are wondering, or at least I've been asked questions, is he a bigger prospect for the Habs than what people thought? Like, where where is Norlander, in your opinion, stand in the Habs prospect pool? Yeah, I think he's pretty much underrated by by everyone outside of Sweden, probably. Uh, so he was drafted as an overager, uh, didn't get drafted high enough uh, when you when you consider uh, how good of a season he had after that. So. Uh, if we were doing the draft again now, I think he would go much higher than than the third round. So, uh, or was it late second round? Anyways, uh, uh, yeah, he he had a great preseason and he's continued that greatness uh, in the two season regular regular season games uh, they have played so far. He's playing like a a bit of a limited role at even strength, but uh, getting the top power play usage on on that stacked Frölunda team is really impressive for a 20-year-old defenseman playing his rookie season at the SHL level. So Frölunda is one of the top organizations in Europe, uh, and he's getting that great usage on that team. Uh, There's still... Stuff he needs to work on, especially defensively, he still needs to work on that side of things and with his decision-making a little bit, but uh, he has all the talents to be a great NHL player. Uh, so two more years in Sweden, I think, and he's he's ready to push for an NHL job after that. Now, uh, Yoki, uh, last season he was uh, paired with Tobias Enstrom uh, playing in a lower division, and... Enstrom mentioned how he wasn't the one carrying the line. It was, it was Norlander. Um, can you give our, our listeners an idea of just how good the hockey is in the SHL? Yeah, well, I think the SHL is really comparable to the American Hockey League. So uh, a bit of a different style of play, uh, but the, the talent is definitely there. Uh, the, the top teams in the SHL could definitely play against the KHL teams and the AHL teams and do well in those games. So it's it's definitely right up there, maybe the third or at least the fourth best league in the world. But uh, I would argue that it's third and some would even argue that it's the second best. So uh, definitely a high, a high quality of competition in that league. Where do you see... I know they're kind of two different styles, but do you see Norlander having a better career than, say, Romanov? Or do you think they're just two totally different style defensemen? Yeah, well, they are definitely two different styles. Uh, Romanov is more of a physical, uh, I think he's going to be more of a defensive guy, whereas Norlander is uh, an offensive guy, a skill guy, uh, uh, more of a flashy offensive guys so it's it's tough to say i would still probably say that uh, romanov is gonna have a better career but i think they are much closer than most people would would think do you do you see norlander kind of like a uh, the latest version of a mark streit coming into the league yeah uh, i i could see some similarities there so uh I think maybe Stride was maybe a bit more of a all-around player. Norlinder is maybe more of a more leaning towards uh, offense, but um, he's not bad defensively either. So, yeah, 
maybe maybe doesn't quite have that kind of uh, top pair upside. Well, some would argue that he has the upside, but maybe doesn't project to be a top pair guy. Uh, but yeah, uh, some similarities in in the style of play. Would you see him as more of a? Would you see him in the top four or more of a bottom pairing guy in the NHL? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a middle pair guy. Uh, that's where I see him ending up. Uh, his his all-around game has improved enough that he could be a bottom pair guy, so he wouldn't be a liability even if he if he was a bottom pair guy. Uh, but I think his all-around game is good enough to be a middle pair guy eventually. All right. Um, now we're just going to move on to uh, some some basic rumors. So the big 10 uh, football is now back. So that bodes well for hockey. Uh, there were some rumors that Caulfield may join. Uh, I think it was Rogel uh, in uh, Sweden. Um, do you have any, any feelers out knowing anything that may or may not happen? Maybe you can break some news here. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I don't have any any information that I could share about that. But I do know that they were obviously looking for for someone to to jump into the team and like improve the team offensively. Uh, they tried uh, Rafael Lavoy there first. He didn't quite make it. Uh, wasn't good enough to to be that impact player that you need need to be if you're gonna be one of the like import players on the team. So I think Caulfield could be that guy, uh, but I don't have any information one way or another. Well, that's no good. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go and speaking with offensive guys, uh, Jacob Olofsson has been reported that he's now moved to the wing on the team that he's playing with. Is he back and healthy? And do you think he's going to be better fitted with the wing, especially with Montreal being so deep at center now for the first time in like 30 years? Um, do you think it's going to be better for his career on the wing or is he more of a center? And this is just because they have no room on his team at center right now. Uh, well, I've, I've always seen him as a center, uh, but I think that also limited his his offensive upside a lot. He was also always that reliable 200-foot player when he was playing playing at center. So maybe he can he can bring more offense to his game when he moves to the wing. Uh, so we'll see how this season goes. Sounds like they're they're planning on keeping him at wing for the full season. So. Uh, I wouldn't draw any conclusions based on just a game or two, uh, but the full season is going to tell a lot about that. So I think there's a chance that maybe he finds more offense to his game playing at, at wing. Uh, and Maybe he can then even take that offense when he moves back to center. Who knows? Uh, it's too early to say, but uh, uh, I could see him playing either position and maybe even switching between the positions uh, eventually in the NHL. Now he's had a lot of injury woes in the last couple of seasons. How does he, how does he seem now? Does he is he fully healthy? How's he how's he been looking on the ice? Well, I think it's gonna take a while before he's like full fully back to one hundred percent. But I think he's getting there. Uh, so give him a bit more time uh, in a month. I think he's he's gonna be 
back at 100, and then then we'll see how he looks. Yeah, because he was projected to be. Uh, some of the articles I've read, he was projected to be actually better than what his ranking or his draft position uh, uh, held him, and that he was, you know, uh, very good offensively. Um, is that do you think? that's correct? Like, do you think he was another player that was drafted too low or do you see him as maybe a, like, do you see him as an NHL player or just a fringe? Yeah, I think I, I had him in the forties, I think. So in the early second round range, uh, he was always a two way player uh, with limited offensive upside. So I don't, I, I never really thought of him as a top six player, uh, but I thought that he could be a reliable third-line center. So I think that that is worth an early second-round selection. Uh, we'll see if he can he can live up to that projection. But I think at least a, a fourth-line player. He he's the type of player who could very well play on the fourth line and bring bring some value to the team from there. Uh, so I think uh, his NHL likelihood is still pretty pretty decent despite the injuries. Now he's um, he's going to be due to sign a contract for the Canadians to keep his rights fairly soon. Um, what what do you think would the odds be if he had a, a half decent year of him making the jump to North America next year? Well, I think wasn't it like two years ago when they drafted him, and I think they have have the European guys for four years before they have to sign him. So they still have some time to see see how he does. But uh, yeah, if he has a good season now. Uh, he could definitely jump to the AHL next. So the the jump after being a good player in the SHL, it's pretty easy to jump to the AHL, and you need to adjust your playing style a little bit uh, to the smaller rink and the more physical game there. But uh, you're you're good enough of a player already if you can be a good player in the SHL. So um, yeah, if he has a good season, I think he's ready for it. Now, another player that uh, been, I've been kind of keeping an eye on out in Europe is uh, Yoni Aikinen. He's he's due for a contract. D- have they put a cross on on him? I mean, he's had so many injuries. Yeah, the injuries have really hurt his development a lot. Uh, he always had nice upside. He had good skill and even started to develop his defensive game uh, as an 18-year-old after the draft. So uh, everything was looking good after the selection, but uh, the injuries have really hurt him a lot. He's injured again now uh, to start the season, so he hasn't played in the preseason at all. So we'll see how he looks once he gets back on the ice. He's with a new team now this upcoming season. He needs to earn his spot there. Uh, Nothing is given for free now on, on a new team. But I think he was the one who wanted to go to a new team to get a fresh start. So it's not like he was pushed out of the, the previous team. So it was more of him looking for a fresh start and new opportunity to play. And I, I think they will have room for him once he's healthy. Uh, we'll see if that's down the middle or at wing. I think he, he could play either position. But but yeah, uh, we we have to wait and see how he looks. Uh, Jesse Yoldenen is playing for the uh, Pelicans in Liga. I know I messed the name up. I, I'm, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> uh, 
where do you see now he's playing in the, in the Finnish league. Uh, where do you see him uh, like this year? Is this the year that he really needs to put it on to see if he's going to be that prospect for the Canadians or does he still have time to, to develop? Well, I think he's, he's only here in Finland for, for a couple of months. So I think the plan is that he will go back, back to North America and play in the AHL after uh, whenever that season is about to start. And I think he's ready for that. He was already a good player last year. The points weren't there, but that's because Pelicans had a just a horrible, horrible team. They they were a disaster as an organization. Nothing was working for them. Uh, now they have a fresh start. They have a new head coach, and I think things will be much better when he's playing there, and I think Ylönen will be a top player on that team. He should really... I, I would say that he's the number one guy on that team, uh, so now I'm expecting a lot of points from him, but I'm also expecting to, him to play a strong 200-foot game. That's that's the part of his game he really, really developed last year. When, when the points weren't coming, uh, he started to focus a bit more on the defensive side of things, and uh, I saw some great improvement in that area, and that's a great sign for his NHL future. Maybe he's not uh, top-line flashy offensive player, but I think he could be he could be like a really solid complementary middle six winger who can play on both special teams and bring some value to the team in that way. So kind of a sty- stylistically in comparison to say a Thomas Tatar. Yeah, well I think maybe Tatar is more of a offensive more of an offensive guy than Ulonen, but uh but yeah, I guess some similarities there. I'm just, just looking at my list here. Uh, so Canadians have sent over Hayden Verbeek, Otto Liskinen, uh, and Lucas uh, Vadimo to play in Europe. Uh, Verbeek in Slovakia, uh, uh, Vadimo in Sweden, and Liskinen in, with Liga. Um, this is all temporary, but just for our fans, when we see these guys going to Europe, is it more beneficial for them? Like say, I guess I'm sort of leaning this question to like an NCAA OHL type player. Now I know Liskinen's playing in the, 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 with Cal Pal, so he's playing in the, in the, in the higher league. Uh, but for guys like Verbeek and, uh, well, I suppose Yolen is playing in league as well. Uh, but for guys like Vadimo, uh, he's not actually playing in the high-level Swedish league. So why – is that going to hurt his development or is that the perfect spot for his development? I guess that's a long way to get to that question. But Yeah, well, first the background. So the reason he's playing in, in Allsvenskan instead of the SHL is that the, the SHL is not allowing these short-term loan deals uh, at okay. all. So uh, you're either going to be there for the full season or you're not going to play there. Uh, so that's why a lot of prospects are going to Allsvenskan uh, in Sweden to play in the second tier league there. Uh, so if uh, if the SHL was allowed those short-term loans, he would be there with the SHL teams. Uh, 
But especially this year with all those loans to Alsvenskan, it's going to be a really good league. Uh, so nothing to worry about. I think it's even on a normal year, it's it's very close to the league level. So even though it's the second highest level in Sweden, it's a really, really good league and very much comparable to the top level in Finland. So it uh, doesn't hurt its development at all. It's it's a still a really high-end league and and it's also a short-term loan. So a month or two in, in a league like that is never going to hurt your game too much. I think uh, just going off, I think that's my worry about Caulfield is where the NCAA is so up in the air about when they're going to play and how they're going to do, how they're going, you know, how they're going to do it. I think I would have rather Montreal just sign Caulfield, send him to Europe because he'd be playing already if he was over there. And uh, I think, I mean, this is more of a commentary, but I think that's my my biggest worry about Caulfield is he's missing all this time. Uh, uh, playing time or even practice time or anything like that. I'm not sure what he's doing in Wisconsin, but uh, personally, I think Caulfield probably would have been better going over to Europe than sort of standing still where he's at right now. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, uh, But I think there are, obviously two two sides to that so first of all it's a whole new experience for those youngsters uh do they want to go to europe and live in a foreign country where people may not speak english uh and living a living in that kind of environment it's a big adjustment for a young player uh but also that the european teams are really full of players already so you really need to be a really really good player to crack the lineup there uh, or to get a contract with them so it's not so simple and easy to just uh, go and and get a spot uh, because they are already they already have full teams who are already playing games so uh, it's it's difficult a guy like Caulfield could do it if not in the SHL, then at least uh, in the Finnish Liga, which is a bit of a lower level. So, uh, yeah, there are definitely both both sides have valid arguments that uh, maybe they think it's better to stay in school and wait for the NCAA season to start. But uh, from my point of view, the European Pro Leagues are really, really good. And everyone who comes here to play uh, is going to benefit from that. Is that kind of what happened to Lavoie? He just wasn't good enough and the team was full enough that they really didn't see the point in keeping him on the team? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, they they didn't really uh, announce their official reason for, for the departure, but uh, I believe that was the reason that they expected him to be like an impact player, a, a top nine player at least, and he he didn't make an impact like that. So if you're going to take away a spot from one of your own youngsters, one of your own players from your organization, uh, uh, the the player coming in needs to be really good to to be worth it. Now, when uh, an NHL team sends a player over, such as, you know, Evan Bouchard from the Oilers or Raphael Lavoie, uh, uh, Vedemo for the Canadians, how much discussion would there be between the parent NHL club and a European club on what they want the player to work on while he's there? Uh, 
Yeah, there definitely is is that discussion that uh, before all all parties agree to the loan, uh, they need to see eye to eye on what what type of a role he's expected to get there and what what other development uh, things he needs to work on and what other chances and abilities to focus on those. So there is definitely that discussion, but at the same time the teams are playing to win. Uh, so the, the development side of things are usually like a, a close second secondary target for the teams. The first and primary target is always winning the games. How much influence does the uh, parent team, like how much influence would Montreal have on what the Europeans do with their prospects? Uh, well, I think it depends obviously on, on the level of league and team where you are sending them. So if, if you try to dictate uh, a role for a player going to the SHL for like a team like Frolunda, a top team in there, they're not going to have a long discussion with you. So you're just taking what you're getting from there. But then if you're sending him to to a team like Rögle, which is uh, still playing in the SHL, but uh, a much lower uh, ranked team in there. Uh, you may have a bit more say in, in the role and what what your expectations are. Okay. Um, I guess we can move on from prospects unless you've got anything else there. Well, from already established prospects. Um, who do you well, actually? I'll ask one more question. Who do you see out of Montreal's European prospects? I'll say aside from Romanov as their top European prospect, like the one who's going to be more most successful with the parent club. Uh, I would say Norlinder. So the the role he's getting on on that stacked Frölunda team, uh, I think he's going to have a great season. It's going to be still a bit of an adjustment. It's a new level for him. Uh, his rookie season in the SHL but the way he's been playing so far in these few games and and the role he's getting I think he's gonna have a great season. Now with the KHL to the NHL or North American leagues ice ice size is a is a difference is it the same in the European leagues like the Liga or uh, the SHL? Yeah there there is some variance uh, so in Finland, we're using this kind of a hybrid size rinks, and in Sweden, they're using the the full international size rinks. And in the KHL, they're using a bit of both, uh, and also some North American size rinks. So, in the KHL, they use all three three rink sizes. But yeah, so there is a bit of a difference. Uh, Finland was the first to in- introduce this hybrid size rink, and I believe every team is now using it, uh, so I think it's a it's a benefit for the young players who are targeting to go to North America eventually that they get started with the hybrid size first and then jump to North America. Do do you find there's a big difference in their development between like a lot of people say all oh, this players coming from Europe he's going to have to play a year in the AHL to get used to the to the ring sides. Is that, a, is that a thing or is that just a, I always thought of players, if they're good enough, they can play on any size rink and still be good. 
Yeah, well, we've seen examples of both, obviously. So it depends on the player. Uh, I think it's a it's a bit more of an adjustment for the goalies. The shooting angles are a bit different with the with the wider uh, rink size, and also a little bit for the defensemen. Uh, they they need to realize how much uh, or how little ice there is to cover for them. Uh, so I think it's easiest for the forwards to make that adjustment when they move to North America. But for any player, I think it's like half a season, maybe maybe one full season at most uh, that you need for that adjustment. And, and that's about it. And, and for a lot of players, it's really from... From the training camp on, they're already ready and adjusted to the new rink size. Now, without getting national pride involved, because I know there's a little bit of a rivalry between Finland and Sweden. Um, when you're looking at the styles of play between the Finnish leagues and the Swedish leagues, um, which one do you think is the more um, prone, uh, apt to become an NHL style player? Uh, probably Sweden, uh, even though it hurts me a bit to say that, but uh, <laughs> but I think uh, the, Sw- the Swedish leagues are more about skating and speed and, and, and skill and talent, and the Finnish leagues are more about structure and, and coaching systems and that, that type of thing. So I think because of that, uh, it's easy, because the NHL is not like a structured uh, from my point of view, from a from a Finnish guy who's used to that uh, very very structured game that we play here in Finland, that the NHL is not like that. It's more of a free fall. Everyone can do what they want on the ice, <laughs> basically uh, style. And uh, so I think you don't have to learn that uh, structure, that team system, so much to play in the NHL. Whereas if you don't know uh, or if you don't have the high-end skating ability, it's going to be really tough to play in the NHL. So because of that, I think the the Swedish leagues are better at developing NHL talents right now. Jaspiri Kotkiniemi uh, got the spleen injury while he was in AHL. They all went down in lockdown. He came home to Finland came back to the NHL for the bubble and looked like a totally different player uh, than he was before, or at least before he got to Laval. Um, did he, I don't know if you know this, but did he himself want to improve his game? Like, did he see his game in his second season in Montreal as a, uh, where he needed to improve? I mean, he had a pretty, I would say, successful first season, 34, 35 points in his first season. I thought was pretty good for an 18 year old kid. Uh, but it seemed to me when he went back home to recover from a spleen injury, he had an agenda. Was that, is that a, a thing that he did or, or was that something mandated through the team or, or you may not even know, but I'm just uh, curious what you might know about that uh, situation. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know the details, but I think based on everything I, I know about him, I know that he's really, uh, always looking for ways to improve and become a better player. So, uh, and he also, he's a really smart guy. He knows his weaknesses and his strengths and he knows what parts of his game he needs to work on. So 
Uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if he had an agenda when he came here that, okay, this is where I need to focus on now to become a better player. Uh, but I think a lot of it is also confidence. He found his confidence during that long break that uh, he remembered that he's he's actually a good player, so he just needs to show it. And I think that's that's the most important thing that he he got his confidence back, and then it showed on the ice. Yeah, because it seemed in the playoffs he really started using his size and that to his advantage instead of whereas in the first year and a half it was a bit of a disadvantage for him because he I don't think he was just used to know how he was working with it. Do you see Kotkaniemi as a one-two type center, like a top six center in the NHL? Yeah, I think he could be a, a number two center more likely than a number one, but I think he, he has that type of a skill to be that number two guy. Uh, and the way you mentioned, he's, he's always been playing this kind of a power game uh, in junior and in the Finnish league during his draft season. Uh, but he wasn't obviously mature enough physically to play that power game in the NHL right away. So it took a bit of a time to, to focus on his strength and build on that strength. Uh, and now we're starting to see his true game shining, that power game, even at the NHL level. And he's going to build on that, continue building on that uh, power game. And uh, yeah, the the sky's the limits uh, for him. There, there's a lot of upside, but maybe, maybe not quite as a number, uh, true number one center. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, uh, shifting to the draft, uh, I know that you've you've been busy working with Dauber prospects to put your list together, and with this COVID year, it must have been much harder because they. It just, everything's been thrown off. Um, so just to give my, my listeners an idea of what you do, uh, how, much, how much work do you put in on putting your list together? How many games do you watch? Uh, and how much advanced stats do you apply? Or do you go with the eye test? Um, you know, just to give us a general idea. Yeah, well, actually, I just recently checked my my notes from the past season uh, uh, just to get a rough estimate of the number of games I scouted. So and that number was 201 games during the during that season, and that doesn't include all the games. There are obviously games where I I'm watching someone, but I'm not really scouting them properly. I'm not taking notes on them or anything like that. So. The actual number is is a bit higher than that, but yeah, 201 games where I took notes uh, about someone, maybe not for for the 2020 draft, even maybe maybe it was for the 21 draft, but uh, anyways, yeah. So that's that's my personal contribution to the rankings, and then we we have a full team uh, and we bounce ideas and talk about players all time all the time that uh, what what are you seeing here and why are we seeing things differently and we're we're constantly learning from each other so that's also very very beneficial to have that team around you so looking at this year's draft you have a lot of europeans uh, i'm just looking at the dauber prospects right now uh you got alexander holtz lucas raymond um, um, Tim Stutzel, 
Uh, I'm just looking at the European guys here. Uh, Lundell, Askarov, uh, so on and so on. Now those, Amirov at 15, Grands at 16. So the Canadians are, are drafting 16th this year. Now this one here is from June. I don't know if you guys did a – I didn't see one here that was any newer. Who yeah, we're actually see? just publishing a new one uh, on Wednesday, so okay. it's coming coming out any day now. Um, so where do you see now – Dawson Mercer is the guy I feel the Canadians should draft. Do you feel uh, like anyone's like, uh, I know uh, Rodian uh, Amirov is, uh, has been mentioned. Uh, Jack Quinn. Um, uh, Hell Grands I saw as a more of a, a, a later pick. Uh, Brendan Bryson's a guy. Uh, Maverick Bork. Who do you see them drafting around that uh, 16th pick? Uh, well, I think if Rodion Amirov is still available at 16, uh, he's a great pick there. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, we ranked him 12th, I think. So uh, the team was really, really high on him. I think I personally had him around 15 or 16, but uh, everyone else wanted to have him at 12. So uh, we put him at 12. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's having a great start of the season now in the KHL. So he already played half a season in the KHL. Uh, even though he was getting good minutes there and good usage, uh, he wasn't quite ready to contribute offensively. But now it's a whole new story. And he's been... He's, he's having a great start of the season already now, and I think he's going to have a big season uh, when it's all said and done. So uh, a very skilled uh, top six upside, but uh, at least a third line winger, even if things don't really go perfectly for him, uh, plays a pretty reliable two-way game, so not, no real concerns there. Excellent hands, uh, great skating ability, so and decent size as well. He's not a small guy like a lot of the players in this year's draft. So uh, there's a lot of going for him, and I think if he's available at 16 and you you're satisfied with a winger, I, I think Rodion Amirov is a great selection there. What about uh, Lucas Reichel out of Germany? Yeah, I could see Reichel going at 16, so uh, maybe it's a bit of a a bit high for him. Uh, I like him more in that 20, 25 range, uh, but at 16, it's not that big of a reach to take him there. Uh, sort of a similar player to Amirov, I would say, and already had a great, great season in Dell, the, the top league in Germany. Uh, a real surprisingly good season because no one was really expecting him to be even playing at that level. And he, he was putting up surprisingly good numbers even. And but yeah, comes from a hockey family and that's always also beneficial to, to have those uh, former players in your family. And his cousin is with the Winnipeg Jets, I believe. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of hockey in his family, and he had a great season. And I don't really there are some minor concerns with his motor that maybe he doesn't always put up the effort that he should without the puck. But once he has the puck, he he can do a lot of good things with it. 
uh, with his shot and with his playmaking abilities both. Um, a really good skater. Uh, and he, he knows the defensive side of things as well, just doesn't always like use those tools uh, to the best of his abilities. So, But yeah, nah, I wouldn't call it a bad pick at all if he was taking at 16. Who to you is the top European prospect right now for the draft? For this draft? Uh, Lucas Raymond. Uh, I've just been a real big fan of him for over two years now. He's always been a great player at every level he's been. And uh, he didn't quite have the best season uh, last year in the SHL. Now he's added 10 pounds to his frame. He's more, he's bigger, stronger, and ready to to have a massive season in the SHL. And these two games so far have already shown that he he's going to be a top player in that league. So how much do you think that these games, uh, with the season starting in Europe before uh, the draft, how much, do you, how much weight do you feel that scouting staffs are going to put on them? Well, I think it removes some doubts and some red flags from, from players if they take that next step that, you know that okay they're they're ready for that next step that they they have used the long break to their advantage added more strength to their frame and and some players are capable of jumping to a whole new level now so from the junior league to the pro league and all that and especially for smaller guys that removes a lot of doubts if you see them playing at the SHL level or the KHL level that okay it's it's much easier to project them to the NHL from those leagues compared to to the junior leagues so uh, it it doesn't change their rankings dramatically but i think uh, it removes a lot of doubts if if teams may have those this year Montreal COVID never happened, Montreal would be drafting first or ninth, basically. We'll say ninth, because that was the more realistic pick. In your opinion, is there that much difference in the talent selected from ninth to 16th? Like, was this a major miss by Montreal? Would they have been better off picking top 10, or are they going to be okay uh, with the pick at 16th? Well, unfortunately, I do think there is a gap. So I think there's a there's a definite top 11 this year, and then it drops off after that. So I think at nine, they would have been able to get one of those guys who in a normal year would probably be a top five pick. Uh, but this year, I think there are 11 top five picks in this draft. So, um, but, but yeah, hopefully, or for your sakes, uh, maybe one of those 11 guys drops to 16, uh, maybe a guy like Anton Lundell or Jaroslav Askarov, if you want to take another goalie, then uh, maybe one of those is still available at 16. But uh, but yeah, I think there is a gap between 9 and 16 this year, especially. Um, I got another question here. I'm just, I'm just trying to look it up. Uh, Luke... Uh, Crap, I, I lost it. Blaine, you got anything? <laughs> well, I, I know I know your grandkids have been moving your, your notes around, so <laughs> I get it. I get it. Do, do you need someone to come read it for you there, Gramps? Or? No, I'm, I'm good. I got my glasses on. So uh, <laughs> um, I guess my question was, uh, we talked about uh, uh, Reichel and we talked about uh, 
um, Mercer and uh, Amarov. That's what I want to go back to. He seemed to have climbed the rankings uh, throughout the year. Like uh, when you kind of first looked at him, uh, say back in October, November, whatever, he was in the high 20s. He was still a first-round pick, and then he moved up, moved up. Is that because of his strong play in the KHL and the fact that they were giving him the minutes? Because KHL is notorious for, you know, downplaying minutes for players that they figure will leave as soon as they get drafted or or signed or whatever. So, uh, uh, and he seems to be climbing. Like you just said, that you guys have him at 12. In June, you guys had him at 15. I've seen other places have him in the 20s. Uh, what is it about his game? Uh, I mean, we probably already alluded to it, but why has his stock gone so high in the last uh, few months? Yeah, well, maybe maybe he didn't start the season uh, high enough, so maybe that's part of the reason. So he had a great under-18 Worlds uh, tournament as a draft minus one guy. Uh, he was Russia's best player in that tournament, and think they were in the final yeah I think they they finished second in that tournament but anyway so uh, he had a great performance there coming into his draft season so maybe he should have been like a top 15 guy uh, at the start but Russian guys usually uh, fall a little bit uh, on draft boards for reasons unknown I guess <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but also I think part of it, so he started the season in the KHL, but he wasn't producing there. And then uh, he was surprisingly left off the World Juniors roster. So that's maybe the low point of his season that uh, he was starting to drop even further. But after that, he was he was sent back to the Junior League and people once again saw how really talented he is. And I think that pushed him back to the range where he should have been to start with. Uh, and obviously now with the new season starting, so first of all, we had the KHL preseason where Russia's under-20 team was playing. Amiro was a top player on that team, showing everyone that he's not going to be left off the roster a second time, so he's going to be a top player for Russia at the next World Juniors. And then when the season started... Uh, his play in the KHL has been so so awesome that uh, even the even the ones who didn't have him in the top 15 are now starting to push him in that range. So, uh, yeah, I think a, a bunch of reasons <laughs> contributed to that. Go ahead. Do you have something, Blake? So, yeah, no, I was just going to move over to the second round. Um, and there's the Canadians hold three picks, 46, 47, and uh, 56 now that Phoenix has lost their second round pick. Um, but there was one player that I was curious about because he's been underscouted and that's uh, Emil Heinemann. He, he, he seems to have good numbers, but there's not a lot of talk about this kid. Would he be someone that's worth trading up for? Uh, maybe not in the forties. So I think he's more in the fifties, sixties, somewhere in that range. So the numbers are definitely there. Uh, and he had a just phenomenal start of the season. He was putting up like a goal per game in the Swedish Junior League. And But the thing is that he really came out of nowhere. No one had him ranked before the season. He, he never really showed any uh, potential before this season. 
and that's always a bit of a red flag that uh, maybe it's just a one one season uh that's not really telling the whole story uh we'll see eventually but uh that's that's the concern with him that he really came out of nowhere exploded offensively and he was he was going to you know he was planning on going to NCAA at the start of the season that's why he stayed in the Swedish junior league he wasn't able to go to the men's league uh, because he would have lost his NCAA eligibility but then at mid-season he just decided to turn pro instead and uh, and the funny thing is that when he went up to the SHL his game really changed a lot from what he showed in the junior league so in the junior league he was this pure offensive guy putting up one-timers everywhere scoring goals from everywhere and uh, in the SHL, he was more of a physical fourth line energy guy, uh, playing a pretty decent defensive game. Uh, so that's the other part of the question: that is he going to be an offensive guy, a defensive guy, or a physical guy, or what type of a player is he be in the NHL? And uh, especially me, I'm leaning more towards that uh, bottom six uh, energy guy who can he can score 15 goals in a season or something like that, but uh, more of an energy guy than an offensive guy, I think. Is that more due to him being young and trying to play with older players, or he just doesn't seem to find his game? Uh, that's tough to say, but I think the, I think he realized that he's not going to be an offensive star player at the pro level, and he he adjusted his playing style, which is a compliment to him that a lot of players are those junior offensive stars and then they never have any success at the men's level because they are not able to realize their limitations and adjust their playing style. So I think it was just uh, him realizing that, hey, I'm not going to be an offensive superstar. It's it's better to have a more well-rounded game. Now I've got another player that I've been looking at, and I, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be honest. I think I'm going to Don Cherry this name because it's hard to pronounce for me anyway. Mook, jeez, um, oh, I got to I got to read this one out. Mukhamel Madulin, Shakira Mukhamel Madulin. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the KHL with Ufa. Yes, I didn't butcher a name. <laughs> I, I'm not perfect. I just look at. I play a perfect guy on TV. That's it. You play a perfect guy in radio. Got the face for it. <laughs> but uh, a defenseman like him, like Shakir, <laughs> go with his first name because I can pronounce it. Yeah, we um, all just call him Shakir. <laughs> Does he, is he someone that is close to being NHL? Is he worth that, uh, that early second round pick? Uh, not for me, not even close to, to that. I think he's more of a fourth, fifth round guy. Uh, I'm not really a fan of, of Shakir. I've been very vocal about that. <laughs> I know uh, he's, he's someone who you either love him or hate him, I guess. Uh, a lot of people are pushing him to the first round and a lot of people are saying that he shouldn't even be drafted. So, uh yeah, we'll see where, where he lands on draft day. But uh, he's a big guy, uh, not a bad skater. He, he skates fine, has a big, big shot. But I think that's really his biggest uh, 
attribute to the game, having that big shot. Not really a skilled player with the puck, uh, doesn't really defend all that well. So uh, a guy like that, uh, he's he's been given every possible opportunity to play at high level so far. So last season they already gave him KHL games when he had done absolutely nothing to earn those. And Russia even uh, gave him some games with the under-20 national team. Uh, and again, he had done nothing to earn that spot. Um, did it really look like he belonged there either? So uh, I don't know why. Everyone seems to love him so much, uh, both in Russia and, and in some scouting circles as well. But I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> Do you think it's just because they're they're really sold on his skating ability and not so much the rest? Yeah, it could be, but I'm not really sold on his skating ability either. Uh, I think his speed is fine, but the agility and acceleration are not really... They're not bad, but they're not nothing special either. Uh, uh, he, he's had his flashes, so one, one thing that everyone always br- brings up is the World Junior A Challenge, where he apparently scored an overtime game-winning goal and that was a big thing, apparently. Uh, I didn't watch that game, so maybe <laughs> maybe I should have. But uh, I think he's he's had those flashes and he's, he's been given those opportunities. And I think that really plays into it a lot that he has that KHL experience already, uh, whether he earned it or not. But, but yeah, he's had a big start of the season in the KHL now, almost uh, half a point per game. So that's uh, for defensemen, that's... That's pretty good. Uh, I'm still not putting him <laughs> much higher on my draft board. Uh, I've seen on two occasions where where the coach has put him at wing, and I think it's just because they don't trust him enough defensively to play that position. So uh, that's another concern I have. That is he is he really going to be a reliable enough defensively to play defense? So I don't know, but I'm I'm not a fan. So yeah. he's like your he. You think of him like I think of Victor Mete for the Montreal Canadiens. Then <laughs> everyone loves him, but me. <laughs> yeah, well, there are also a lot of people who don't love Shakir, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. An- another spoiler yeah. alert: he didn't crack our top one hundred uh, in the recent ranking. So <laughs> uh, our team does not love him. Now, if you were an NHL GM sitting in the middle of the, first, of the second round, <clears throat> is there a European winger that you would jump at the chance to pick? Uh, in the middle of the second round, uh, definitely Kasper Simon Taival would be that guy for me. Uh, he's someone I've been watching for, for a few years now. He's, he was such, such a talent as a, even as a 15-year-old. Uh, he was talked about as a top five talent uh, in his age group. Uh, uh, injuries have really hurt his development over the past what, three years. This past season, he managed to stay healthy, which was a great sign. Uh, but the past two years before that, he was facing a lot of injuries, uh, partially because he's so small. Uh, he was putting himself in dangerous situations and maybe didn't have the physical strength to to handle some of those situations where he was putting himself into. But uh, but yeah, now 
that he he managed to stay healthy. He managed to focus on his uh, defensive game. Uh, I think the offensive game is still there. I, I see a ton of upside. When he's at his best, he can really take over a game. He can be a superstar offensively, uh, but he doesn't do it consistently enough. So uh, as, as long as he can adjust his game to the pro level, uh, find more consistency to his game and manage to stay healthy, uh, I think he could be a definite home run pick in the second round. <laughs> Where do you see uh, – I'm kind of jumping back to the first round here, but he could be a, a early second-round pick. Uh, John Jason Pet- Peterka, is that how you say it? Peterka? Where do you, see, do you see him falling in the uh, first round or staying in the first round? You guys had him 27th in June. I'm just curious if – Yeah, uh, he's probably going to go late in the first round. Uh, I see him personally more as a second-round guy. I don't see a ton of offensive upside in Peterka's game, uh, but there's a lot to like. He's an excellent skater, uh, one of the fastest players in this draft class. He has a, an excellent, excellent motor. Uh, he's always chasing after pucks, and, and he can be a physical player as well, uh, even though he's not the biggest guy, but he, he can play the body and take a hit and all that. Uh, he can be a pretty Pretty good defensive player as well. Uh, so he brings a lot to the table, even though even if his offensive upside doesn't really materialize. Uh, but I do see some scoring upside. So he, the problem is that I don't see him creating much uh, outside of his skating. So when he has the puck on his stick, uh, I don't see him creating much uh, with the puck. But when, when he's playing with a good playmaker, he can definitely finish those chances and get to those good scoring chances. And he's not afraid to go to the net and score the dirty goals. So uh, there's a lot to like. Uh, but for me personally, I think he's more of an early second round guy. So one final question here before we let you go. Uh, any big, do you see any big surprises coming in the draft? Anyone falling out of the top 10 that probably shouldn't or someone jumping into the top 10 or do you think this draft is pretty cut and dry? Uh, well, I think every year where we have some surprises, every team's list is, is so different from each other. Uh, so yeah, I do think we're, we're going to see some surprises, maybe like uh, Jake Sanderson going in the top five or something like that. Uh, I could definitely see happening. Uh, a guy like Anton Lundell, if if they're not sold on his skating ability and his offensive tools, uh, maybe he slides to to the middle middle of the first round instead of the top ten. Uh, so a lot of things could happen, uh, but I think uh, Bob McKenzie's list is always so accurate that uh, most of the shockers have already happened uh, when we're seeing Bob's list and. We, we can expect uh, that to reflect the actual draft day pretty closely. It's almost like the GM's read his list and this go by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bob has his great sources. Um, so it's, it's usually pretty accurate. All right. So, uh, go, oh, go ahead, Blake. Yeah. So uh, we'll give you a minute. You can plug anything you want. Uh, let our listeners know where to find you. Uh, any, the show is yours. The floor is yours. 
Yeah, well, obviously all of my work is basically at dopperprospects.com. We just relaunched the site, it has a new layout. Uh, I'm really happy with how how it looks now. Uh, It really came into this uh, decade with with the new fresh outlook. Uh, So definitely go and check that out. Uh, Like I said, our our final draft rankings will will be out on Wednesday, and we will also publish uh, almost three hours from our final scouting meeting, where we where we made that final ranking. So we had like uh, six, seven people in the meeting discussing and debating those prospects, and we're releasing that tape on Wednesday. So almost three hours of draft debating and discussion. So that's gonna be out at Doper Prospects on Wednesday. Well, Yoki, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate you coming here and uh, providing us some of your time. Um, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was, it was great. It was a great time for me as well. Do you have a moose near the caboose that needs to be tamed? I'm talking hairy, big, and need some support. Thankfully, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Baluga! Did you hear that? That's your moose asking for Manscaped. Manscaped engineering team just perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts of this collection. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Plus, when your girl sees this logo, she knows she's got a real Manscaped man. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. We here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we.
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.